I, uh, I feel remiss if I didn't uh, at least attempt to introduce our speaker this morning, though he needs no introduction. <laughs> oh man! So eloquent. Be it all. A man beloved by small children, puppies, little creatures alike. A man who is so tired of doing this without telling him I'm going to. I'm going to speak right now. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Drew Um, 
last week when, uh, when Chris was preaching, he brought up the passage from Philippians 1. And in that passage, it says, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so Chris talked about unity and how um, that there's this, this importance that's needed, not only today, in our current time where we need, I mean, we, are, we are more divided in this time, in this day, in this age, and the 40 years that I've been alive than we ever have. I know for some that this isn't the worst it's ever been, and I'm okay with that. But we need unity amongst us, both the church, uh, but others as well. Um, <laughs> I just lost my train. Uh, <laughs> we need unity. We need unity. <laughs> hey, would you turn to Philippians 2? We're going to start there. Because of our technical difficulties, we're actually going to jump uh, to, not because of, but we're going to go to two other places in Scripture uh, today. So, um, if, But if we're going to start in Philippians 2. In Philippians 2, this is where Paul is laying out what we need to be like and how we need to act. And so we're going to read, starting in verse 1 again. This is what we covered last week, uh, what Chris covered last week, but I want to just keep it all in context and I want us to think about this. So it says in Philippians 2, verse 1, it says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship, with the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. So Paul starts this off by saying, I need you guys to be like-minded. Now, this doesn't mean that we have to have all of the same beliefs on every single thing. But it does mean that we need to come together as the body of Christ, as the children of God, as the family of God, and be united. But then he continues on. This is what we're going to focus on today. Verse 3. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, for some of us, we may just look at this and we may go, okay, unity, I can kind of get behind this, because I want to be a loving person to the other people in this building, or in the family of God, those of us who all um, have become part of the family through uh, Jesus, I, I, I can get behind that, Drew. But Paul says, for me, not to do anything else, selfish ambition or vain conceit, like deciding to run for the election on the Sunday before the election, don't do that. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. This is where this might trip us up a little bit. To consider others better than ourselves. Because the first thing that maybe went through your mind is, but Drew, do not know what those people said. Or Drew, do you know what those people believe? Or Drew, do you know who those people support? Or let's take it completely out of the political realm. Drew, do you know what my family did? Drew, do you know what my best friend did? My 
husband, my wife, my kids, do you know what they did? I'm supposed to love them? I'm supposed to put them before myself? But do you know? The answer is, yeah. I don't know every detail. But I do know, because I have people in my own life, that I do not, under any circumstance, want to put in front of myself. If I'm just being honest. There are those people in my life that I do not want them in front of me. I want to be in front of them. I want to be the president of that situation. But yet Paul says, in humility, consider others better than themselves. And he continues on, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but the interests of others. I should not only be thinking about what I want, I should be thinking about what you want. What they want, whatever the they is in your life. So yes, I do know. But there's a reason that this is countercultural. There's a reason that this is politically incorrect. Because this isn't what our culture teaches us. We put ourselves first. <coughs> it's all about me. I'm the president of my life. And the rest of you can get in line. Right? And that's how we live. And often that's how we think. It puts us in these really weird and awkward positions because Jesus was completely opposite. He was completely opposite. Jesus was the perfect example of humility. He was the perfect example of humility. He didn't put himself first. He didn't do anything out of vain conceit. He always put others' interests before his own. And so when we talk about humility today, we have to go to Jesus. And so we're going to read, um, we're going to read a, an account from John chapter 13. So if you have a Bible, it's a, or if you have a phone, whatever, if you can go to John 13, um, we're going to read verses 1 through 17. Because Jesus shows us what this means. He doesn't just talk about it. He does it. And for us, we need, I think at times, we need to see somebody do it. We don't, you don't just need to hear a guy like me say some words. You need to see somebody do something so that you can then take your faith and put it into action. So John 13, verse 1. It says this. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Let's just think, just pause for a second and hear that again. He now showed the full extent of his love. Verse 2. The evening meal uh, was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, 
took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter and said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said everyone, not everyone is clean. Verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now, what I, your Lord and teacher, have now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than the master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent. Now that you now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do. So Jesus is meeting with his disciples. They're getting ready, they're, they're sharing the path, they're getting ready for Passover, they have this meal, and Jesus then humbles himself. He gets down on a knee and washes his disciples' feet. Now, there's a couple things. One, if you're not a foot person, you're not into this at all. Like, let's be honest, right? If you get feet, give you the, they just kind of give you the shivers, right? You're out. And I get it. I'm not that way, but I don't want to touch your feet. I'm just going to be honest. That's just, just the way I am. But Jesus kneels down, takes off his outer, outer garment, kneels down and begins washing his disciples' feet. Now, feet were probably more disgusting than they are now, because they were probably caked in the dust and the sweat and the dirt of walking in sands or something akin to that. And so Jesus humbles himself and gets down and washes his disciples' feet, and typically, this would be done by a servant, and a servant who typically wasn't Jewish. Almost as if the Jewish people found this a little bit too uh, beneath them to actually do. But yet here's the Son of God kneeling down and washing the feet of his disciples. And not only that, but he then says, go and do likewise. He gives them this example of what humility looks like. To kneel down before those who do not deserve what he's doing. And gives them this example as he washes their feet. And the disciples don't understand. And we see this throughout the Gospels, right? The disciples, more often than not, don't get it right away. And Jesus even said, you're going to get this later. So post Crucifixion, you're going to understand what I'm doing here. Pay attention. 
And then at the end, he even said, if you do this, you will be blessed. If you serve one another, if you humble yourself and love others, you will be blessed. But there's something that jumped out to me as I was as I was getting ready for this message. When I saw this, I, it just kind of messed me up for, if I'm honest, for a couple of days. And I've read this passage, I don't know how many times. If you grew up in the church or if you've been in the church for a while, you probably know this, this account fairly well. But there was something that I missed, and I don't know how I missed it. Um, and you may go through here, no, you should have missed this, and that's fine. But what I missed was that Jesus washed all of the disciples' feet. I know that sounds like a no-brainer. But there's also a guy in here that he washes his feet. If you look back in verse 2, it says the evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. That means Jesus didn't just wash Peter's feet. He didn't just wash John's feet. He didn't wash, just wash James's feet or Andrew's or any of He washed Judas's feet. Who in all intents and purposes would be his enemy at this moment. I mean, a pretty good definition of enemy is the guy who's betraying you and hoping to get you killed. I don't have enemies like that. Yet Jesus still humbled himself, knelt before his enemy, though he may not have felt that way towards him. Judas clearly felt something if he's ready to turn him over and have him killed. Judas feels something towards him, and he still yet he takes a knee and he washes Judas' feet. Like, that's what loving your enemy looks like. And I'm not ready for it. Because that's tough. And even after wrestling with this all week, I'm still not ready for it. Because Jesus humbles himself. Like, that's what loving our enemies looks like. It's the humility that Jesus shows to go, I'm still going to wash your feet. I know what you're going to do. But I'm going to love you anyway. I'm going to put myself second and you first, and I'm going to serve you. I'm going to be humble. Jesus, throughout his ministry, uses moments like these to teach his disciples. This is when he disciples his disciples. He wants to show them what it means to be like him and to follow him. And so he, he has this object lesson of washing someone's feet. And then he tells them to go and do likewise. And eventually they catch on, you know? I mean, I always get it the first time for those disciples, man. They somehow don't get it the first time. But me, I got it. Or I don't. But this isn't the only time we see Jesus interacting with this idea of humility. If you would, turn to Mark 10. Uh, there's one more account I want us to look at. In Mark 10, um, we, we see, and what's interesting is in Mark 10, the disciples and Jesus are actually still in the timeline. They're heading to Jerusalem for the triumphal entry, for the Passover meal, for the uh, arrest, for the crucifixion, <coughs> and obviously, this death and resurrection. 
As they're on their way, they haven't yet had gone through what Jesus says to them and washing their feet. They have this conversation which is fascinating. Um, and also a little bit like, what are you guys thinking? So in, Act, in Mark chapter 10, verse 35, is the, where we're going to read this today. And it says this, in Mark 10, 35, it says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, he said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Just pause for a second. James and John are their own presidents, right? Like, they're just like, Jesus, do what we said. What? Now, they need, a, they need a hint or a whole lot of humility to go to the Son of God and say, we want you to do whatever we say. And what do they ask that you might ask? Well, verse 36 says, uh, what, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. So just so we're clear, they are asking to sit on in the throne room of heaven on each side of Jesus. Like that's what they're asking him to do. When this is all said and done, when we die, when we go up, we want to be on your left here. Can you make that? That's just a little audacious. Little, um, yeah, that's something. In verse 38, Jesus says, You don't know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup? I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And they answer, We can. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink, and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit on my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Verse 41. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. As we would expect, right? They were either mad that they thought they were, they were, they were going to be the president, they were going to be able to sit next to Jesus, or they were mad that they didn't get there first. We're not sure which, right? Because if it's me, I'm going, oh, that was something I could have asked for? Like, I, why didn't you tell me, Jesus? Like, if you wanted those two, have it. Give it to me. I, I want that. But they become indignant. In verse 12, it says, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. For many. So they're walking, and they, the guys decide that this is a good idea. James and John decide this is a great idea. We should do this. And the other guys get mad because maybe they weren't first, or maybe they were just like a bunch of jerks. Like, why would you ask Jesus for this? And Jesus' reply to them is simply, we don't do it like the world does. The world thinks positions of power mean something. That these authorities that they, lord, that they lord over these other people, we don't do it this way. What we do is we serve one another. We put others first, ourselves second. We become slaves of all. Which, you know, if we were thinking about this, if I was to tell you that, your first response would probably be, okay, let's see you do that. You put this into play in your own life, and then maybe I'll think Except I'm not the one who said it. Jesus is. 
And Jesus is the one who actually put it into play in his life. He finishes that with that line, or that section with, The Son of Man did not come to be served. He has every right to. He created the world. He's the Son of God. He has every right to come down and say, I'm not washing your feet. You wash mine. But that's not what he does. He says, I came so that I could serve. And then he says, to give his life as a ransom for me. Because he was, he lived out his humility. Right? He went to the cross and died because he put all of us first and himself last. He died on that cross in a shameful, humiliating way so that our sins could be forgiven. So I get it. This isn't easy. And I promise you, I don't have it all figured out. I'm trying. But there are seasons of life where this feels impossible. But it's not. Because we we got to be different. we got to live a life of humility. Where we think about others before we think about ourselves. Where we love someone even when they maybe don't love us. When we serve someone, when there's no chance in the world they would ever serve us. It's to take our faith that we have in this Jesus who we believe in and actually put it into action. Which isn't easy. It's not easy at all. But it's what we're called to do. Paul calls us to do that because Jesus calls us to do that. To love those around us. To serve them. To put them first and ourselves Last. I mean, I don't That's what we gotta do. Imagine what the church would look like if we were known for this. If we were known for our humility. If we were known for how we put others first and ourselves second. Imagine what how much glory Jesus would give. Sometimes we do it really well. And sometimes we don't. So can I just challenge you over, let's say, um, let's pick a random date around the next three days. Can we, can we love the people around us? Can we think of others first and ourselves second? Can we do nothing out of vain conceit or self-interest but others first and ourselves last. You know, be a, a great witness for who Jesus is and who the church is if we can put that into play. At minimum for the next three days, but as we learn to do that for the rest of our lives. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. What we are called to is not easy, but it's not impossible. God, would you help us be like Jesus? 
You help us serve others. You help us love others. But you help us put them before ourselves. Help us to be like your son. Would you give us uh, just the strength and the courage and the wisdom? Whatever it is, God, would you just give us what we need to be able to accomplish this? God, we want to be like your son. Help us to be that way. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus and his example, his obedience, his sacrifice on the cross, and we're so thankful that you brought him back to life. God, we just pray all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus.